Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We'll be right back with today's guest, but as always, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Now, these are all companies that I used as an athletic director. They're great companies. You should be using them, too. So spend the next three minutes, take a listen to our sponsorship shout outs. We appreciate it. We want to thank our friends at Hometown Ticketing for their support. Hometown is the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. It's digital ticketing that offers more, more support, more security, and more customization. Go to hometownticketing.com. Hometown is here to help you make the best solution for your online ticketing needs. We also want to thank Vital Signs Wall of Fame. Go to their website, vitalsignswalloffame.com. Check out their interactive touchscreen video consoles. It's a great way to show off your school record boards or your school's Hall of Fame or simply tell about your school's proudest moments. Mention the podcast, you'll get a nice discount. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com. We also want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to huddle.com, change the way that you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years, and it was just fantastic. But when I became an athletic director, I made sure that our school was a Huddle school, and our coaches just loved the tools that Huddle provided that let them coach our kids up to their highest level. Go to Huddle.com, join the 8 million users, and turn your school into a Huddle school. We also want to thank Sideline Interactive, indoor score tables and video boards. Go to sidelineinteractive.com. Schedule a live web demo to see their score tables and their scoreboards in action. Their products not only generate income for the athletic department, but they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student-athletes. That's sidelineinteractive.com. We also want to say thanks to Home Campus. Home Campus is the exclusive high school and state association management platform for us. It's also your one-stop platform for things like scheduling, uh, all the details that go into student-athlete eligibility and athletic clearance. You can even show your parents how to upload forms themselves and a whole lot more. As an athletic director, I used Home Campus every single day and it was just great. And you're going to love it too. Go to homecampus.com to get started. That's homecampus.com. We also want to thank Snap Raise. Have you ever used a fundraising platform? Spent weeks and weeks on it and got little, if any, return? We'll stop right here. Go to snapraise.com slash EDAD. It's hands down the best online fundraiser out there. We used it at our school with great success, and so will you. It works. Go to snapraise.com for more information. Also check out their other platforms like Snap Store, Snap Manage, Fanex. Uh, you'll find it all at snapraise.com. We want to say thanks to our friends at Gipper. Go to gipper.com. Start creating world-class content for your school's social media channel. Your kids are on social media, and if you're not celebrating your teams and promoting your athletes, you're really missing out. Gipper's used and trusted by over 3,000 athletic departments across the country. It's professional graphic design made simple. Go to gipper.com. Mention the podcast. You'll get a great discount. That's gipper.com. And we want to say thanks to Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack. If you've never used a survey to take the pulse of your parents or your student-athletes, you're really missing out. Uh, athletic directors already hear back from the complainers, the 
folks who want to gripe about everything. Athletic surveys not only connect you to that group, but they also connect you to the 98% that supports your program. And that's a tremendously valuable tool to have when you're talking with a frustrated parent or maybe your principal or even your school board. Go to athleticsurveys.com. They're going to create a custom survey that's going to help you take your athletic program from good to great. Athleticsurveys.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We've got a two-for-one today. We've got two great guests. They are co-authors of a couple of best-selling books. We're going to dive into that uh, during the podcast. Uh, visiting with us today from Los Angeles, we have Heather Turgeon. She is a uh, licensed psychotherapist, You know, works in the area of sleep, getting a good night's sleep. And her uh, cohort is Julie Wright out of New York. She's also a licensed psychotherapist. And they've written a couple of books. The two that we're going to talk about today, one is called Happy Sleeper, Science Behind uh, Getting a Good Night's Sleep. And then the other one is called Generation Sleepless. And uh, I really think you're going to see a lot of application in both books, but particularly that last one. So uh, we'll start with Heather. Heather, welcome to the Educational AD Podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, um, and Julie, uh, we want to welcome you all the way from New York. Thank you so much. You know, we were connected by uh, a mutual friend, Kirsten Jones, and uh, she suggested uh, the two of you would be a great guest. And you know, when I read your bios, uh, I, I agreed 100%. We got this set up uh, and excited to have you help us kick off uh, our 20. 24 podcast season. Um, Julie, let's go and start with you on this one. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So give us that quick bio where you were born, uh, where you grew up, maybe take us up through the college years, and uh, then we'll let Heather uh, share her origin story. But, uh, okay, sure. Yeah, I was actually born in Boston. I grew up in Syracuse, and you're going to hear from Heather that she grew up in Ithaca. So even though we didn't meet until many years later in Los Angeles. We we grew up an hour away from each other. So I, um, I grew up in Syracuse and I didn't go to college until I was a little bit older. I had other career pursuits. I went to Antioch University in Los Angeles for both my undergraduate and my graduate degree in psychology. So I took you all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to jump in just there a little bit. Um, you know, growing up, uh, was it a, a a small town experience? Was it the the suburbs? You know, what sort of uh, um, experience was that for you growing up, say, through high school? Syracuse is a medium sized city. It's, you know, it's a university town. So I would say it was definitely a much smaller town than either New York or L.A., but um Medium, medium size. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here and then we'll jump in. Uh, we'll let Heather share some of her story. Uh, any sports participation growing up, uh, either uh, competitive or intramural sports? Well, I'm, I'm an, I'm a mature ballet dancer and I started dancing when I was about 10, but the one sport that I did in, I think it was high school was gymnastics. It might have been middle, it might have been junior high, because at that level, 
I did floor exercise and at that level, it like the actual tumbling wasn't that difficult. And because I was a dancer, I kept getting blue ribbons and I had always been seen as this like nerd in my school who didn't do any sports. And all of a sudden I was like this, this, the star of the gymnastics team. So that's my only little brush with athletics. Oh, I mean, uh, dance and gymnastics certainly are um, athletic uh, activities in their own. And uh, I think very valued by, let's say, smarter coaches uh, because of the benefits they have for movement, flexibility, even explosiveness. So, uh, you know, good for you. You know, you're, you're no nerd. You're an athlete. You're a dancer. Okay. <laughs> All right, Heather. Um, uh, again, you guys, uh, there's that commonality there, you know, upstate New York. Uh, I, I'll jump in there just for a second. Our youngest daughter spent two years at uh, SUNY Potsdam uh, as an undergrad uh, and ran on the cross country team before she came back to Florida to finish her degree. So, uh, Heather, what's uh, what's your story? Okay, well, so my story also includes dance. So when Julie was talking, I was thinking, you know, ballet is extremely athletic that we <laughs> Um, I grew up in Ithaca um, and Ithaca is a college town and my parents are professors at Cornell. So I grew up there. I went to Cornell. I was a dancer from the time I was very young. I was in the theater arts department at Cornell. When I was in high school, I started dancing with the Cornell theater arts department. So I ended up going to Cornell and dancing there and um and then uh, moved to New York City and then on, on to Los Angeles from there. Um, and so my family's still back in, in Ithaca. We go there a lot. Um, and yeah, Julie and I share uh, growing up in upstate New York and ballet as our main exercise and you know um, pursuit when we were younger and Julie still dances. I take yoga, I, I transition towards taking yoga, like maybe 10 years ago. And that's what I do now. Okay. And um, I have, two, I have two kids. One is a, one is a high school athlete. He's a cross country runner. Oh, okay. Th that's great. We're going to touch on that later when we talk about, uh, you know, your books. Um, I'm going to start with you for this one, Heather, and then Julie, uh, I'll give you a heads up. We'll be coming back to you. Um, as a, an undergrad, you know, Cornell, you know, prestigious academics and a lot of other things, too. Um, at As an undergrad, did you see yourself uh, becoming a writer? Uh, did you think you were just going to be going into, again, your degrees, you know, you're a licensed psychotherapist. Did you see yourself going into that area or how did, was it playing out for you as an undergrad? I think as an undergrad, I had very little clue what I was going to do later in life. I truly did not. Um, I was a psychology major. I knew I loved um, psychology and the brain. I was very interested in neuroscience, but not committed to you know getting my PhD in neuroscience. So it was more like I took a lot of science and psychology classes, but didn't know where it would lead me. And um, so I took time to work in between graduating from college and starting graduate school in clinical psychology. There was maybe eight years in between um, or five, something like that, um, where I worked in various you know, places. And um, so, no, I really didn't know what shape it was going to take at all. 
Julie, um, how about you? Uh, was there a, that awareness as an undergrad um, or did things just kind of fall into place as, as life uh, uh, took, took off? Yeah, well, my break came before I even went to undergrad because I was trying to be a dancer and then I tried to be, you know, I was working at being an actor. I did a little bit of modeling. So I was doing all of that. And it wasn't until um, a life experience gave me, you know, the the opportunity to have therapy myself that I just kind of fell in love with this idea of becoming a therapist. It really interested me. And I had never up until that point found anything other than really than dance that I really loved. So when I went to undergrad, that was my goal. So I went to undergrad and grad school with, with the goal of becoming a clinical psychologist. I mean, clinical uh you know, studying clinical psychology and becoming a therapist. So it was a little, it, just a little different order of things. No, I, and again, I'm just fascinated by the stories uh, that, uh, that we hear on the podcast. I, I look back at my own, uh, you know, undergrad days. Uh, the only thing that I knew was that I didn't want to work for a living uh, and, <laughs> and I love sports. And so, uh, oh gosh, I, I, I can get my tuition paid for to, to play football or to run track. Uh, and then I, I joke, uh, injuries and a lack of talent kept me out of the national football league. Uh, but I was able to continue with sports as a coach and then eventually as an AD. Uh, and I, I knew I wanted to do that pretty much my entire life. Uh, you know, our son, um, worked in sales. He kind of was an athlete for a while, um, and then got a job in sales, climbed the ladder, did very well. And then he tore his ACL uh, at 32 playing pickup basketball and talking to his surgeon after he had his ACL uh, surgery, he had an epiphany that he wanted to be a surgeon. And so uh, he just graduated uh, his undergrad. He's applying to med school now. So again, everybody's path is is so unique and so different. But uh, it's it, for me, it's always fascinating to hear the, the different stories. So I uh, appreciate you both sharing. For listeners, uh, our guests today, uh, we have Julie Wright and Heather Turgeon. Together, uh, they are the co-authors of a couple of really cool books that we're going to take a dive into when we come back. Let's go and take our first break, uh, but I promise we are going to come back. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to thank our good friends at Hometown Ticketing for their support of the podcast. Go to hometownticketing.com. It's the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. I don't think I need to say anything more, but I will. Hometown uh, has more support. It has more security and it has more customization. If you go to their website, hometownticketing.com, their team is going to show you how to set up and sell your tickets online, not just for athletic events, but for things like school plays, school dances, concerts, even graduation. And here's the best part. Every school is assigned a dedicated client success manager that's going to provide you hands-on support every step of the way. That's every step of the way. Go to hometownticketing.com and talk to their team. Hometown Ticketing, it's digital ticketing that offers more. We also want to thank our good friends at Vital Signs Wall of Fame. Go to their website, vitalsignswalloffame.com, and check out their interactive touchscreen, that's right, touchscreen video consoles. It's a great way 
to display your school record boards or your school's Hall of Fame, or simply tell your school's most compelling stories and highlight your student-athletes. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com. Mention the podcast, they'll give you a nice discount. vitalsignswalloffame.com. Welcome back to the Educational AD Podcast. Once again, our guests today are Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. They're both licensed psychotherapists, and they are sleep experts. Um, Julie, um, having done a couple of books myself, I know there's a process that is involved. So can you share with our listeners, you know, where did the inspiration come from? Um, you know, how did you guys decide that you wanted to work together on these books? Yeah, it's a great story. I I still have, I have a parenting program in LA, a mommy and daddy and me um, program where parents bring their, their little babies to class and learn all kinds of things throughout the baby's first year. And of course, sleep is at the top of everyone's mind, especially in those early months. And during that time, I just knew that there wasn't a book out there that I felt completely good about and I knew that there was a way of helping parents with sleep and a way of talking about sleep that I wanted to get across and I had an idea in my mind of writing a book but I didn't feel confident that I could do it on my own so it was just like an idea in my mind and then Heather and I met we actually met at the parenting center where we were both leading classes and we kept saying to each other we should we should go for coffee we should go for coffee and finally we went for coffee and on that day, we just we just talked and talked and talked, and we we found that we were so simpatico when it comes to thinking about sleep. And she she was already a writer. She had and she wrote a column called the you know the what was it called Heather? It was called the Science of Kids. The Science of Kids. I knew it was the Science of Something. So she her expertise was taking science and making it palatable and making it accessible and making it fun to read about. So we pretty quickly, I mean, that's when we met and we pretty quickly decided that we were going to try to write a book and we had no idea what we were doing, how the book would do. We had no idea what would happen, but we, we had an idea and we had a mission and we, we found out pretty quickly that we really loved working together. So that's how we got started. Yeah, it's so great to find someone like that in the profession that, you know, you you think alike, you, you kind of have the same goals. Um, Heather, once you all had made that decision, hey, we're going to do this, um, you know, what were some of those logistical things as far as, you know, finding a publisher and, you know, getting the word out there? You knew you had a message. Now, how are you going to get it out there? Yeah, we so thankfully, because I was a writer at the time, my editor um, had a connection to an agent her. So her, she connected us with her literary agent and our, her, our literary agent, who's still our agent now said, you know, this is an interesting idea, write the proposal. We wrote the proposal. And then Julie was working with a very famous, um, psychiatrist and expert named Dan Siegel in a small group setting. She was part of his, this small group. He liked the idea. He agreed to write the forward to the happy sleeper. So together with, you know, our agent and having a proposal and a really, um, you know, amazing person to sort of get behind us in the proposal writing stage, 
um, to say that they would write a forward for us. It all kind of came together and our agent was able to sell the book. And then um, we, The Happy Sleeper is still by far our most popular book. It's still, you know, it's been out for many, many years now. It's, it's still extremely popular. And one of those books that parents just keep, you know, handing to each other and saying, you've got to read this book, new babies, you know, everyone with a new baby sort of um, gets recommended this book. So that's been amazing because parenting books tend to the, the really, the ones that have staying power are still the ones that people recommend, you know, no matter how many years go by. So that book has still been like such a huge, huge um, part of our, our career. We're going to do this uh, again during the podcast, but let's go ahead and give out some information right now. Um, one of our listeners wants to find the books. Uh, I'm going to guess they're uh, available on Amazon. They are. They yeah. are. Yes. All three. We've written three books. They're all on Amazon and all the other booksellers. And yes. Okay. From um, the moment uh, that you and Julie, you know, made that decision, Hey, we're going to write a book to that actual, Hey, it's up on Amazon or it's in the, the stores. What was that approximate timeline? Uh, how long from, you know, inspiration to execution? I think that we we wrote the book around the time my my daughter was born, and um, I remember our agent saying, um, "Don't you have a newborn? Are you really going to write a book?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm so I'm so excited! Yes, we're writing it." And she was a brand new baby. So, and then, um, and I think when it came out, it was about two years later. Okay. Now, Julie, we'll finish up this segment with you. Um, uh, again, we're going to take a deep dive into into the two, uh, I, I guess for me, the two main books, Happy Sleeper and uh, Generation Sleepless. Uh, but for the Happy Sleeper, um, as it came out, what was some of the um, uh, initial feedback that you remember, uh, either online, people writing reviews or, you know, people coming up to you? Hey, I got your book. Uh, you, do you remember those those moments at all? Yes. Well, I think the reaction that we got then and we still get today, the most common reaction we get from parents is how surprised they are at how capable their babies are of sleeping well. A lot of parents very understandably feel like they have a bad sleeper or sleep is elusive or tricky. And so that is very gratifying to Heather and me because that was our message. Like sleep is natural. We're built to sleep. It's hardwired into our brains and we can help you kind of get out of the way. So that natural ability can do its thing. So that was very nice to hear that that was kind of the most common response we heard. No, absolutely. And again, you can see the reviews uh, on Amazon that, uh, you know, you, you obviously hit on an area that, uh, I, I chuckle, you know, I could fall asleep right now. I mean, that's how easy it is for me to fall asleep. That's no reflection on the two of you. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've known some people in our profession that, you know, we're at a conference or something, we're sharing a room and, and they're just still, still awake. I'm going, what's going on? Uh, so um, <laughs> don't fall asleep. Cause then we'll be, we'll have to take over and just do the episode ourselves. Yeah, our, our listeners will probably appreciate that, but uh <laughs> 
Now, and uh, I shared with both of you uh, before we started recording uh, about, you know, uh, our our granddaughter right now uh, is about two and a half and is struggling. Uh, her mom and dad are struggling to get her to go to sleep uh, at night. So uh, I'm excited to, uh, you know, get the book and pass it on to uh, our daughter. And hopefully, uh, you know, they'll have that same type of experience. You know, maybe dad can be a hero uh, uh, again. So we're going to go and take a break. Uh, once again, our guests are Julie Wright and Heather Turgeon. They're the co-authors of some really, really cool books. Um, we're going to take that break, but when we come back, we're actually going to let them share, uh, some details from the book and why you as an AD, why you as a coach should probably add these to your library. So, uh, please stay with us. This is the educational AD podcast. We want to say thanks to our good friends at huddle for their support. Go to huddle.com and change the way that you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years, but when I became an athletic director, I made sure that our school was a Huddle school, and our coaches, all the coaches, just loved the tools that Huddle provided that helped them coach our kids up to their highest level. Go to Huddle.com, join the 8 million users, and turn your school into a Huddle school. We also want to say thanks to Sideline Interactive, indoor score tables and video boards. Go to sidelineinteractive.com and schedule a live web demo to see their score tables and their scoreboards in action. Their products not only generate income for your athletic department, but they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student-athletes. We've got a Sideline Interactive uh, indoor score table in our gym, probably one of the best purchases I ever made. We use it for home games, of course, but we also use it for pep rallies, for signing ceremonies. Their products are tremendously versatile, and their customer service is just outstanding. Go to sidelineinteractive.com. Schedule that live web demo today. And we want to say thanks to Home Campus, the official and exclusive high school and state association management platform. Home Campus should be your one-stop platform for things like schedules, uh, athletic clearance and student eligibility, uh, coach tracking, and a whole lot more. As a high school athletic director, I used Home Campus every single day, and it was just fantastic. And to get started, all you have to do is go to homecampus.com. That's homecampus.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everyone. Once again, we're visiting today with Julie Wright and Heather Turgeon, the co-authors of a couple of books. The first one we're going to take a dive into is called Happy Sleeper. So um, uh, the book um, talks about, uh, I'm going to be very general here, um, how parents can get their young children, and I think you take it up to the teen years, um, to get a good night's sleep. Uh, I can remember our own adventures with uh, uh, our first, second, and then our third child. And they all had different sleep habits. Uh, obviously, this was over 30 years ago. But um, what are some things that you can share with our listeners uh, about you know, why this book is important? And again, the, the subtitle of the book is A Science-Based Guide to a Good Night's Sleep. So, uh, um, I'm going to let you guys decide who goes first on this one. 
Um, so, well, okay. The happy sleeper was really written because we, there's a dilemma that a lot of parents feel around sleep, which is that they, um, they want to be responsive. They want to have, um, a strong, secure attachment to their baby and their young child. And, um, they also are being told it, sleep is important. You know, they're getting conflicting messages about sleep. Some people will say you should, you know, respond to your baby. You should be practice attachment parenting. Um, you need that your baby needs to know you're there contact, all that stuff. And then somebody else will say, you know, it's important to be really strict with sleep and shut the door and don't go in and let them cry it out. Basically parents end up getting really conflicting polarized messages about sleep and they have been for so long. And we, we wrote the book to help them um, come together in this message to a middle ground, because we don't think that you have to choose between um, getting a good night's sleep and having a secure attachment with your baby. It just doesn't make any sense. Attachment is natural. Sleep is natural. You don't have to sacrifice either one of those. And so the book is, the book very clearly satisfies both of these really important needs and helps parents find a middle ground that they can feel good about where their baby sleeps through the night after they're capable, which is about five months of age, sleeps through the night. And it's an approach that parents can feel good about emotionally attachment wise, and they can feel good about the relationship with their baby. So it satisfies both and it's a win-win. Um, so we get babies who sleep through the night and parents who are happy. And that's, that's the goal. <laughs> oh, I, I shared with you both earlier that, um, you know, our daughter, she's using an attached parent, uh, you know, model, uh, which is probably the opposite of what she experienced as a child. Uh, it was after, I, I think a couple of months, you know, we reached that point as mom and dad that, uh, uh, I, I love your expression, cry it out. You know, we you know, close the door and, uh, and you know, that's how we ended up doing it. Uh, and, you know, you talk about how your book uh, bridges the gap, uh, you know, between those two. Uh, Julie, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, Heather, you did a great job of, you know, I, I think summarizing the book, but Julie, what's maybe one or two uh, nuggets you can sneak in there to, uh, again, encourage our listeners that this might be something they want to add to their library? Yeah, definitely. So our book is broken down into chapters by age. So we have an age for the zero to four month babies who, like Heather mentioned, are not quite ready to com be completely independent sleepers or completely sleep through the night, but we can start to get some really good sleep habits on board to prepare them and to improve their sleep as much as possible in those early months. Then we have a chapter for that. It's the big, it's the big game changing chapter that where we lay out very clearly the strategy for handing over the role of independent sleep to your now capable baby. So it's very, it's a very set plan. And it, you know, if the parents follow it with great organization and commitment, it it will be successful. And then we have another the next chapter is for um little ones who are no longer in the crib. We call it uh, two to six years, but it depends if they're still in the crib at two, you'd still be in the other chapter. But that chapter, we're using the same philosophy and the same overarching way of thinking about sleep but now we've got little ones who are verbal and mobile and clever and <laughs> resist bedtime so we have we have slightly different strategies 
but with the same philosophy and the same goal in mind. So we want parents to, to be able to maintain their child's potential for good sleep, which we have yet to meet a little one who can't sleep really well um, over the course of those early years. And we, we have a lot of information about, you know, troubleshooting, what to do with this situation, what if they're sick, what if I have twins? So the book really does cover a lot of ground, but it's very organized. So it's it's helpful. We also have on our website, which is thehappysleeper.com, it's the name of the book, com. We have online courses that emulate those chapters too. So we have one for little teeny tinies, the middle, that middle ground where they're capable. And then the, we call it the little kids sleep class for the, the ones who are out of the crib. It's for parents who prefer that, who prefer that way of accessing information and learning. No, I, I love it. I, I love the way you get the book organized. You both use the term, um, capable you know when your child when the child is capable um I, i'm going to guess that that uh is not a hard and fast age you know there's you know it's different maybe for each kid um is, is that true it's actually not so different the the thing that makes it different is maybe if babies are born prematurely that would be something we take into consideration but sleep is something that comes online sleeping through the night just requires that babies be able to self-soothe meaning just that they can move their hands and put their hands in their mouth or maybe roll to their side or kick their legs up and down, that they have the ability, some, some form of uh, motor skill or just neurological maturity that they can self-soothe. They don't need us to do all that bouncing and rocking. They don't need the external soothing as much. And that that's we feel very confident by five months that babies babies have that ability. They also need an, a mature internal clock, which comes online around five months. And so at five months, they have those, those two things, the mature internal clock and the self-soothing capability to be able to sleep through the night. And five months is actually a pretty conservative age. We've met babies younger than that. So we, but we like to keep it at five months because we feel really confident about that age. Again, unless a baby is is premature, then we, we adjust for that. Um, but it's pretty universal because sleep is so hardwired and so biologically driven. It's so natural. So. Again, I just find the whole subject fascinating. And uh, I, I like the part that you talked about um, where the, the it's science-based, you know, the research that you have done um, you know, bears itself out, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, um, uh, just a, an average person who has an interest in something. You guys are both, you know, licensed psychotherapists, you know, this is kind of your stock and trade and, you know, you've done the research for this particular book. Very cool stuff. Let's go and take a break. And then when we come back, uh, I, I want you to talk about your other book, Generation Sleepless, which I think our athletic directors and coaches listening uh, are really going to um, find uh, you know, that it applies to the group of student athletes or the group of students that they deal with. So let's go and take another break. Uh, once again, our guests are Julie Wright and Heather Turgeon, you know, the authors of uh, a couple of great books on sleep and, you know, why you as an athletic director uh, should add them to your library. So let's take that break. This is the Educational AD Podcast.
We want to say thanks to our good friends at Snap Mobile. That's the parent company. Snap Raise is the platform. Have you ever spent days and weeks with a fundraiser uh, and got little, if any, return? You need to stop right there and go to snapraise.com. Hands down, it's the best online fundraiser out there. We used it at our school with our teams with great success. The coaches loved it. The parents loved it. Our CFO loved it. Uh, and it flat out works. They even have a program where they will give you your funding up front before you actually start your fundraiser. Nobody else does that. While you're at the website, check out their other platforms like Snap Manage, Snap Store. They've got a really cool one called FanX. You'll find it all at snapraise.com. That's snapraise.com. We also want to thank Gipper. Go to gipper.com and start creating world-class marketing content for your school's social media channel. Your students are on social media, and if you're not promoting your athletes and celebrating your team's accomplishments, you're really missing out on a great opportunity. Go to Gipper.com. It's used and trusted by over 3,000 athletic programs, both high school and college across the country. It's professional graphic design made simple. How simple? Well, it's so simple, even I can do it. That's Gipper.com. Mention the podcast, and you'll get a nice discount. Gipper.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Educational AD Podcast. Julie, uh, I'm, I'm going to have you start off on this one. Um, your other book that we're going to talk about today, because you've written, uh, you and uh, Heather have written a couple, uh, is called Generation Sleepless. Now, I remember as a much younger coach, let's say back in the late 90s, where uh, our administration was presenting to you know our faculty, we were private school, very successful academic athletic school um, about, you know, this epidemic of, you know, high school and, and middle school students who weren't getting enough sleep, you know, early start times for the schools, you know, even back then, um, social media and the internet and all that was taking off and the kids just weren't getting enough sleep. So it's not anything new, but uh, the book that you have written uh, talks about, you know, kind of the hows and the whys, but much more important, uh, some solutions uh, that I think uh, our athletic directors and our coaches need to hear about. So talk a little bit about the book, um, you know, uh, again, talk about the, the, the why, but maybe talk about the execution, the how. How do we deal with this? Yes. So Heather and I obviously have worked with a lot of families with babies and young children. And as the years went on and as some of our little happy sleepers started to grow up, it became more and more obvious to us what you knew back in the 90s, which is incredible, which is that there is a very extreme sleep crisis among teenagers. And it's only gotten worse since then, you know, since the 90s, the, the amount of sleep that teens get keeps going down. And definitely the advent of social media, you know, contributed to that. But you're absolutely right. Um, we call it the perfect storm. It's the, well, the first thing we always talk about is the natural shift in teens biological clock. They just don't get sleepy as early in the evening. They get sleepy about two hours later, which means they need to sleep about two hours later in the morning. We have um, technology. We have way too much homework in most cases. 
students are just overloaded with ridiculous, nonsensical amounts of homework. We have too many activities, which sometimes, of course, does include sports because, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day. So they might have practice, they might be in a theater group, they might be in a musical group. But a lot of this also is geared toward preparing for college admissions and all of the pressure that is also in our minds too much. It's just too much pressure to, to try to do all this work when you're in high school to get ready to apply for college. So you have all these things pushing bedtime later and later and later in the evening. Social media takes that and runs with it. And then you have, as you mentioned, two early school start times crunching sleep on the other side. So it's mathematically impossible. Our teenagers in general are getting about six hours of sleep a night when they actually need nine. So the their sleep debt is incredible. And as we all know, what you do hear a lot more about these days is the teen mental health crisis. So we really want to bring it to the fore that this is no coincidence. These two things are not there, you know, together by coincidence. The the lack of sleep is a huge contributor to declining mental health, whether it be anxiety, depression, suicidality, um, all of that comes with um, with sleep deprivation. So what we want to say, we want to sort of send out a social message to to schools, to big tech, to um, to parents and teens themselves too. But we don't want to just point the finger at teens and their families and say, you need to get more sleep because all of these societal aspects are responsible and, and families can't fight them. They can't fight start times or college admissions requirements. So it's a societal issue. And we really wanted to make that really clear that this is a crisis and our teenagers really need our help. Yeah, you, uh, you use that term, and I remember hearing it in that presentation back in the late 90s, sleep debt. Uh, and it, it it's so true. I'm, I want to say uh, we've gotten a little bit better from back then, but maybe not. Um, the school that I was at here in Florida before I retired a couple of years ago, we were a, a college prep school, very successful, uh, again, academics and athletics. Uh, we had probably... Um, 75% of our kids uh, at the high school level were involved in at least one competitive sport, which means, you know, practices until 5.30 or 6 o'clock, uh, games sometimes not getting over till, you know, 9.15, 9.30 at night, a uh, couple nights a week, plus academics, plus many of them were involved in clubs and activities and even things on the weekends. And oh, by the way, they had a family life too. So um, squeezing it all in, uh, is it, it, certainly a challenge. You know, Heather, uh, I'm going to pick on you for a second. You mentioned that you've got a son that's, uh, I think you said running, uh, high school cross country. Um, I'm, I'm going to really leap ahead. How do you do it in your family? You're an expert. Okay. Yeah. How are you, uh, managing, uh, you know, this, as, as Julie said, it, it's a crisis. Yeah. So I see it firsthand. I definitely do. Not just because I have a 15 year old who is a cross country runner and a very good student and very, very busy, but because I see all the kids who come in and out of our life and our house and I, I'm around a lot of teenagers. 
Um, a lot of them are sleeping five hours a night, especially right now we're in finals time and they've got, you know, they have so much to do so much homework. They've got finals, they have class until three or beyond. And then, um, they, some of them commute, they live across town. They might have an hour commute on the bus. Um, we live in a big city. We live, have a school that pulls from a hundred different zip codes. Kids come from all over the city. They, it's Los Angeles. They're <laughs> sitting on the highway. There's just so many things that snowball into their time being so, um, so limited. And I think, so high school is really the crunch period. Like I keep, I keep telling my kids, cause I'm also a therapist in a high school. I keep telling the kids, you know, this moment where you are in high school is the busiest and most sort of adult driven most time where your, your commitments to everything that are, you know, you you feel the most committed and the most structured and the most scheduled that you're probably ever going to feel because when you go to college, you have a little more flexibility in when you take classes, what classes you take, you have a little more downtime. High schoolers right now have almost no say in anything they do because, you know, everything is sort of dictated for them. So it, it starts to feel very out of control. But, you know, in our house, we have a really clear, um, first of all, I, I recommend that my son plays you know, one sport and has maybe one other activity. So I think for families to pick and choose and not overcommit and just pick the things they really love and um, let go of some things is a good idea. We try to have a good wind down time and it's very understood what, what time we turn technology off. You know, wind down time in our house is an hour before bedtime. And so phones go in the kitchen. We don't bring our phones into the bedroom. We, you know, we allow ourselves to have a full hour of wind down time where you're not playing a video game. You're not, you're trying not to study right before you're not on social media. You're not checking, you know, you're not um, scrolling TikTok. You have a bedtime routine and you go to bed at the same time, more or less every night. So we have, you know, we do our best to maintain those habits. My son gets probably eight and a half to nine hours of sleep, but he's very rare. Only about 5% of high schoolers are getting the optimal amount of sleep. That means 95% of them are not getting enough sleep. It's just, you know, so we, we try to get kids to, you know, try that we try to get them to aim for eight hours because that's the adequate amount. Be under eight hours, we start to see a lot of negative effects on their mental health and their physical health. So eight hours, even though it's not quite optimal, it is adequate. And that's realistic for a lot of teens, you know, to get an average of eight hours a night. But it's it's hard. Now, you, you mentioned something that I think is, I'm going to guess, challenging for some parents to do you said in your house you know the phone does not go into the bedroom uh at, at night and um we would i remember as an athletic director we had uh, a, a parent meeting and i didn't think of it one of our coaches brought it up and the looks that our parents gave that coach uh, like, you know, how, you know, how can we do this? Uh, can you tell our kids that they can't take their phones and they just, they're, 
uh, and I don't want to throw our parents under the bus, but it, they just, in that moment, they seemed powerless to be the parent. Uh, do you find that, uh, is that strange for me to say that? Do you find that common to the, some of the parents you deal with? Uh, you know, what, what do you think about that? Oh yeah, that's universal, but we have lots of ideas for how to talk about it with parents and with, with teenagers. We, we like parents to think about how they model their use of devices. That's probably the most important thing they do. We talk about not being afraid of your kid. You know, we all know that our kids are not going to, you know, run away from home because we we set new limits. If your child is still younger, this is a good time to take note of not letting go of those rules and habits. Um, like Heather's a great example of that. Her son still loves her, you know? If you are already, if that ship has already sailed, we also talk a lot about how to talk to teenagers about sleep because we can't, they're not little kids anymore. We can't just say, you know, we gotta, get this little one to bed earlier we we can't just say to our teenager you need to go to bed earlier we know that will backfire so we need to teach them about sleep and be curious about what in their life something that they care about is impacted by sleep and help them start to learn about sleep so that they become self-motivated to want to get more sleep that's the very best route to talking to your teenager about anything, but certainly to talking to them about sleep is to um, have it be a conversation and a, a curiosity about what makes them tick and what they want. So it doesn't feel like you're the parent talking to a little five-year-old. So we, you know, we also propose lots of ways that um, teenagers can take baby steps toward getting more sleep and start to experience feeling better. We have a sleep challenge in our book that teams or families or groups of kids can try for a two-week period and sort of track track the changes to their sleep. I, I also really love to help teenagers think about technology in a way of, and this is not just our idea, that there are movements all over the world trying to challenge tech companies into being more responsible about their design. So I, we like to teach teenagers to think of big tech as, you know, laughing all the way to the bank while, you know, all their little minions are totally addicted and that's just what they wanted. And so giving them that sort of feeling of being on the inside and saying, you know what, big tech, I'm not going to, I don't want to be one of your guinea pigs. I know what you're doing. I used to, I always tell the story about when my son was little, I would teach him about commercials on TV and what they were, why they were there. And he thought that was the greatest thing. He was like, mommy, I know, I know they want to get me to buy this thing. So getting them in on the inside scoop and, and not being such pawns to, to this is also really helpful because teenagers are smart, you know, and they, they really do want to be autonomous and they want to make choices that are good for themselves. So those are some of the things we do to, to counter that, that look that parents give when you say, um, yeah, no phones in the bedroom, mm -mm. <laughs> no TVs in the bedroom either. Right. No. Um, I remember again, a hundred years ago as, as a college, uh, student athlete, this was in track season and our coach, uh, I'd never heard this expression. I, I've never heard it since, but it it appealed to me. He would talk about our track meets were almost always on Saturdays. And he would say that 
It's the night before the night before. That's where you need to get, you know, your best sleep. So uh, it wasn't just, well, don't go out partying on Friday night before the meet. But, you know, it's that night before the night before. And and I always meant to follow up with him. Uh, was, was that a scientifically based uh, statement? Was it just an encouragement to, you know, cut back even one more day? Uh, have you ever heard anything like that from a science standpoint and and how and it leads into my real question um is there a, a a quantifiable scale on how lack of sleep can affect in a negative way uh athletic performance so uh yeah yeah that's such a good question so Sleep is pivotal to sports performance in kind of two major ways. The first one is that being sleep deprived is the number one risk factor for injury. So in studies of high school athletes, when they ask about all kinds of things, what is your workout routine? What do you eat? How many sports do you play? How many hours are your practices? How do you sleep eight hours a night or not? Blah, 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 blah. The number one factor that determines their risk of injury is do they sleep eight hours a night or not? And so there are lots of reasons for that. First of all, when you're sleep deprived, your decision-making is slightly impaired and you're a little bit slower at decision-making. So if you imagine yourself on the field, having to make all these sort of micro decisions throughout the course of a game, you might put your foot down wrong. You might not get out of the way, you know, in time, you might make kind of like in-game decisions that are not quite as sharp and therefore put yourself at risk of, you know, stepping in the, in the wrong way or getting hit or so it puts you at risk of injury in that way. It's also not giving you enough time to repair at night, um, to, to repair tissue and muscle because during sleep is when we secrete the most growth hormone and growth hormone is essential to keeping our muscles and joints and so forth strong. In fact, that's one of the things that I have felt really impacts athletes clearly affects their, it, it clearly gets them thinking is that I tell them if you go to bed at 10 every night, then between 10 and 12 is going to be when you get the most growth hormone pulse of any other time during the day. So going to bed at 10, will get you the most growth hormone and teenagers like they, they, it's important to them. They, they like to hear this. So if you're a parent or an athletic director talking to kids about the importance of getting that very strong pulse of growth hormone early in the night, it's between 10 and 12, um, that will make you grow. It will make you stronger. It will make you less likely to get injured. If you miss that window and you stay up till one in the morning, you're missing out on the most growth hormone that your body will possibly produce. And um, kids don't like that idea. They really do get it. They really do want to, you know, protect their bodies. They care about, um, they care about their physical health. And if they're competitive, then they really are convinced by that, that fact. So so that's that's one really, that's sort of like one bucket of why sleep is so important to sports, but the other one is the performance. Um, there's a lot of research with, um, swimmers, with basketball players, their, their free throw percentages go up, their three point percentages go up. 
um, <clears throat> swimmers reaction times, lap times go down when they sleep really well. There's been a lot of research on college athletes, especially at Stanford, because Stanford has a big sleep lab. And they also have, you know, a lot of sports teams to experiment on. <laughs> so they, they experiment with their athletes and the sleep lab has at Stanford, the research program has really shown that no matter what sport you're playing, if it's tennis, serving accuracy will improve when you're sleeping well and regularly. So there's, there's just no, no doubt that sleep should be part of athletic training. It should not be thought of as getting in the way of athletic training. Oh, no, absolutely. And I, and I think, uh, coaches and athletic directors are going to agree with that a hundred percent. You know, this is the challenge and this is why I invited both of you on. Um, there's not a coach in America that would not agree with what you just said. Uh, and the same thing applies to um, uh, mental performance training, um, you know, intentional thinking. Uh, there's uh, the same thing applies to uh, nutrition. You know, you have to put the right fuel in your machine as a health teacher. I, preach that for my career uh but it's that coach and i'm going to point my finger at the coach right now coach is listening giving up some of that practice time uh to okay we're not gonna we're gonna take five minutes away from our free throw practice and we're gonna talk about you know incorporating sleep into our practice routine and why it's important so that's the challenge that's why i'm so glad that both of you came on today uh to share with athletic directors and our coaches who are listening that you know this isn't an afterthought this is a real thing this is um it's one of those things that when you look at successful programs whether it's high school or college um they are doing all those right things they're eating right they're uh, focusing on mental performance as well as physical, and they're letting their bodies rest and recover and get enough sleep. Um, Julie, I, I saw you nodding your head as Heather was sharing. Uh, uh, anything uh, more you want to share on this particular topic? Um, let me see. Well, I was just thinking about describing how the first half of our book lays out the issues and the science behind them. And then the second half of the book is practical. So the second half of the book has chapters about communication, like I was talking about how to be empathic and lead with empathy when you talk to your teenagers so that they will be able to take in the information that you want to give them. Um, and then we we lay out, you know, the sleep challenge and the habits of healthy sleepers. So I was just thinking about that the way that the book is structured and why, why people like it. Cause it's, it's very, the first chapters are very interesting as far as the, the science goes. Um, so it's, it's compelling. It's a compelling story. But, uh, absolutely. And again, uh, in our, uh, my arena, high school sports, we know that the vast majority of our kids that we come in contact with, they're not going to college to do sports they're not going pro but they've got the rest of their lives to be uh happy and functional whatever they're going to do and yeah you need to have proper sleep uh the right amount of sleep to to do that and hopefully go out and enjoy whatever sports or activities maybe ballet that you still want to do uh when you're no longer let's say a competitive athlete you know great great stuff um 
once again, the books, um, Happy Sleeper and Generation Sleepless. They're available everywhere. Um, of course, they're available on Amazon. Both of you are professionals in your own right. If one of our listeners wanted to reach out and pick your brain uh, a little bit, uh, Heather, what's the easiest way that one of our listeners could get a hold of you? We, everything we do is at thehappysleeper.com. So if people are interested in, you know, having us come to talk to their sports program or their school, we love to talk to kids themselves. So it's, it's really, um, we do a lot of work inside high schools and, um, we also have, like Julie mentioned, our online classes, all of it is on the happy sleeper. So we love to hear from people there and also social media. We're at the happy sleeper. Okay. So it's happysleeper.com for the website and uh, on social media as well. Yeah. It's actually thehappysleeper.com. Okay. Thehappysleeper.com. I want to make sure we get that right. And um, athletic directors, uh, executive directors of state associations, if you're looking for uh, a great presentation for your state conference or, or even a workshop, uh, we've got our, uh, you know, national conference each year, you know, reach out to uh, Heather and Julie. I think they'd be a great addition to any program. Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. Um, thanks so much for spending some time with our listeners today and all the best uh, moving forward in 2024. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. All right. Well, uh, you, you guys have just been great. We appreciate you sharing with our listeners. Speaking of our listeners, uh, we appreciate you tuning in, and uh, we do this just about every day, and we upload the uh, Zoom recordings to the Educational AD Podcast YouTube channel. Um, come back next time for another great interview, and like I said, just about every day for new content on the Educational AD Podcast. We'll see you next time.